Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Louis D'Souza and Anne-Marie Young. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And I have to say, guys, today is kind of like a, a, a sort of a flashback to the way things were done on the show about four years ago when I was doing two shows a day because I did a mission <laughs> of the show earlier today. And I'd forgotten how much work it is to do two shows a day. It's a lot <laughs> I mean, it was good. Her name is uh, Disha Wadup. She's from your section of the world. She's from the UK, and she's a social media coach and uh, really a marketing expert. And, wow, it was a great in-depth conversation about uh, getting businesses started and how you market them and how you build a group up and all this stuff. So, yeah, it was really, really worthwhile. But And I've got another one coming tomorrow with another one of your countrymen, a guy named uh, Luca Senator or Senatori. I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name, but that's going to be uh, for me tomorrow morning really early. So another two-show day tomorrow. Like, uh, I- I'm glad those are the only two this week. Let's put it that way. You get so many guests, you're just having to just, like, duplicate your shows, aren't you? I, well, I have to duplicate me somehow. <laughs> I need the Star Trek transporter to make two copies of me or something like that. But, yeah. You have to learn the master skill of bilocation. I haven't gotten I know. You talked about that. <laughs> I haven't gotten that one down yet. I mean, have you been able to pull that one off? No ways. No way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Thanks uh, for that. I wish. I wish. <laughs> I, well, part of yeah. the trick on that, isn't it, uh, if, as I understand it, now I'm no expert because I've never pulled it off, but as I understand it, part of the trick is that you actually are conscious in both. And you're somehow supposed to be able to connect those together in your little human mind. I don't really know how that works. <laughs> somehow you're supposed to be able to do that. Try and deal with one of me is enough. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a full-time job for me, I'll tell you. Oof. But uh, no, still very much worth it. It was a great conversation. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow's conversation as well. It's going to be really good. <clears throat> but in the meantime, I'm going to, if you don't mind, guys, I'm going to treat today as kind of a, Oh, relax. Take a break after what I did this yeah. morning. Yeah. Yeah. No, no problem. Sometimes you have to kind of do that. I think it falls under the category of self-care. Mm. Yeah, it falls under the category with Abram Hicks's step three. Okay. Well, yes, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> Relief and release. Let's just Relief and release. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like, too. It's like, oh, okay, mm. done. Yeah, got all the stuff sent out. Yeah, it was good. So... Oh, but there is that relief that comes from, well, part of the relief comes from, I know you guys real well. So yeah. I know I don't have to do anything. It's not like I have to plan anything. I can just chat with you guys for an hour and it's great. So that makes, that's relief and release all by itself. But yeah, also getting this morning's thing done was, it was good. It was, I was glad to get it done, but it's done. <laughs> I went to um, my daughter, my six-year-old's um, birthday party. Now, this isn't somebody in her class. This is the class, because, you know, in the year they have different classes in one year. They've actually got about three, four classes in one year or something. So it was one of the other classes. She had made friends with this bunch, and I invited this girl, this, the, 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 the six-year-old from the other class to Eloise's birthday party. Now I got invited to her birthday party. But when she came, the mother came to pick up the daughter. We had this like really good, deep, in-depth chat, and she brought along her friend, and her friend was a, a somebody from the Met Police. 
<clears throat> and uh, we had a good chat. I had a good chat with her as well. I really bonded with her about philosophy, ideas, and beliefs and stuff like that. That was all cool. So I, I arrive, arrive at the, the home because I've now been invited to her daughter's birthday party at her home. So um, I meet up with the mom, and the mom's got a wannabe boyfriend. Um, who's, <laughs> I said, uh, can you explain to me who everybody here is? And she says, my friend. And he told me he's interested in her. So uh, that's, uh, why I get the, uh, that's why I get the wannabe. <laughs> two plus two. Got it. Um, but we had this hugely in-depth conversation. Now, the first thing he said to me is we've met before walking down from school with, with the kids. Oh. Um, and I said, yes, I remember now. Do you remember the conversation? Now, I brought up this conversation before on the show a few times. Um, and it's all about this guy saying, you know, the world's falling apart and everything's crazy. And, you know, he's worried about the future, etc. So I said to him, and you were saying, you know, Satan's taking over, etc. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> so, so I said to him, you know, how, how do you destroy Satan? What's the one thing you can do to completely destroy Satan? And he frowns and he looks at me, he's all confused. And I said, give him love. And he looked at me and he started to realize um, that, yeah, that's one thing that when you're in the vibration of that positivity, there can't be negativity, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the concept. So, you know, I said, you're not going to hear a lot of priests on the stage um, <laughs> promoting the love of Satan, but... <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, do you understand well, the law of attraction? <laughs> if they sold it as, like, Satan's version of kryptonite, they might be able to get it across that way. But, yeah, I don't mm, think they're going to mm. the love thing. That's not going to work for them. <laughs> yeah, they need to be Superman, though. Um, <laughs> so... The interesting thing was I'd bumped into this guy before. And what's the chances of bumping into this guy that I brought up on the podcast? <laughs> well, knowing the law of attraction pretty good. Exactly. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So we had this like really deep philosophical conversation and uh, talked about all different angles and all the rest of it. And we managed to get it in before everybody came around and it got too, too busy. And yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm always amazed at how I manage to draw <clears throat> these kind of conversations out of any any function or meeting or situation that I, I land up in. It's just really great. Well, you love having those conversations. You yeah, when they, absolutely. When they show yeah. up on your doorstep, so to speak. <laughs> they absolutely do. <laughs> so how do you use any of what you were saying to him? Have you noticed what have I do or? I love do I love Satan? Yeah, of course. I do. Well, All my heart. No. Had he done anything different? No, no. He didn't even remember the gist of the conversation too well either. But he just, uh, one once I re related it to him, says, Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but now I could fill in the blanks and why I talk why I thought like that and et cetera, et cetera, mm. and brought in a little bit of law of attraction, et cetera. So yeah, just um really fun um having these conversations in the sauna I remember i was telling you the other day i i landed up with this guy um we were both on the top step then we moved to the middle step and then eventually we were sitting on the floor in the sauna so we can continue the conversation mm. we were both sweating <laughs> <laughs> and not from the conversation but from the sauna <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but um he he was 
it was amazing because he could really take what I was saying, integrate it into his Christian philosophy and put it back on me. And, and the big discussion that was going on was all about um, God in his mind or source in my mind <clears throat> is finished. It's complete. It's done. And I said to him, no, I believe source is endlessly expanding. <laughs> and the discussion was why we were thinking this way and how, you know, and all the rest of it. Uh, that was one aspect that we were talking about, but it was the one that most interested me because I've never openly had a discussion with anybody about is source, you know, complete and finished and done, dusted, or, or is it endlessly expanding? The, you know, and, and there really are ideas which I actually started pointing out eventually that, you know, you, they don't need to be mutually exclusive. No, they aren't. No, they don't need to be. So, no. <clears throat> you know, you can have it perf perfectly expanding all the time. <laughs> yep. Part of this um, has to do with the way um, human language works, because human language is broken up into tenses, past tense, present tense, future tense, and some other, you know, perfect tenses and so forth. But those are the main ones. And because of that, we think in those tenses. We think in future, present, past. And we express ourselves in all of our wording is expressed as either a past tense, present tense, future tense, or <clears> some <throat> perfect version of, of one of those. And because of that, we end up kind of tripping over ourselves uh, when we try to discuss and, and explain things that are outside of time, because those are all mm. time related. Absolutely. So yeah. the problem that, that we're really experiencing when we're talking about this stuff and saying, well, everything's all completed or saying nothing's all completed. It's all uh, going to be completed or it's all in the process of completing. Those are just three different tenses for saying the same thing because we don't have a way to express it outside of time. So we have to use a tense. The, the other aspect that I like to be really honest about is that that's a guess. That is what Abram has said. And I'm not necessarily know for a truth for myself. So mm -hmm. I like the idea of thinking that source endlessly expands and that I'm part of the expansion, et cetera. I just like oh, the idea, true. but it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily the, what it is. <laughs> I can't prove it. I haven't got personal experience of that. So I like to be really, really honest when I talk about that and say that, you know, this is my hypothesis at the moment. You come up with a better one. I'll probably jump on it in the heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have any, um, need to hold on to my belief structure. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very happy to be fluid enough to take on the next thing that, that seems to be more in the way that I think it does work. Um, I will drop where, what I currently believe in a heartbeat. And, uh, yeah, we were having that <clears throat> conversation at the party as well, all about what is belief. Because, you know, we know from Abram Hicks that belief is a thought you think often. Mm -hmm. And a 13-year-old girl said to me, Louis, I believe you're a nice guy, but I haven't thought about it often. <laughs> <laughs> you can always count on a teenager. <laughs> so we only saw, saw every month. So I was a little bit flummoxed by this. So I went home and thought about it. <laughs> You know, I love these 13 year olds. Um, mm. <laughs> and, uh, and then I thought about it and then I realized that she used the wrong word. She should have word. I, she should have used the word thought because belief really is a thought you've thought more often. 
Mm-hmm. You should, Louis, I think you're a nice guy, but I haven't thought about it often. But to use the word belief, it's really not accurate. So you kind of get shades between the word thought and belief. And what it is, it's just a more solid vibration. In some sense, she's she's actually on solid ground in one sense because English is such a multi-valued language. Words mm. get used all over the place in so many different ways. The same word used, you know, twenty-five different ways. So but not necessarily particularly that. accurately. I, well, hey, you know, the level of accuracy—that's <laughs> what I love about English. It's it's so they've got so many different words for the same thing, but some are a little more accurate for that situation than others. You know, they just are. And I love that. I love that aspect of English. But um, it's true. It's true. On, the, on the flip side, also perception plays a big role in it too, because even if you have shades of meaning that you like, you're describing there uh, between words, it's often difficult to get people to read what those shades are, because they have different yeah, perceptions yeah. of what the words are. The interesting so, thing is, I did go back after clearly thinking about it and explaining to her how I thought about it. And she did agree with me. So <laughs> that's the flip well, side. Was she morning, she right? did get what I was, what I was pointing out, which I like. Um, there, there's some validation there, which I sometimes sure. enjoy. Um, but yeah, so, so there was, there was other conversations in the sauna, but, um, there was one guy who was very con. He always wanted to argue with everything I was saying, not be, not for the for the sake of argumentation, but the the sake of getting his his side in. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just wanting to you know voice his his level of opinion and what and he, you know. He said to me, "You've obviously thought about this a lot, Louis." Um, <laughs> Was that an Some of us haven't thought about it that much. Because <laughs> he's, he was saying to me, he really feels bad about this whole beggar thing. And I said, why? What are you thinking when you see a beggar? Oh, they're just stealing money. And, you know, if, if, if they can beg, then they can work. <clears throat> and he goes on and on and on like that. So I said to him, there's another way of looking at it, of course. I said, what do you mean? I said, you know, He's put all these situations in place to be there on that street. He's created all this energy and all this stuff to be there on the street in, in the form of begging at this time. You know, it's, it's an incredible journey that he's taken to get there. And, you know, he's got there for a specific reason. And there are shelters in this country and there are homes and there are food places and there are stuff that he can go to if he wants to. You know, and there are jobs available at the moment. There's actually quite a few yeah. um, at the moment. So he is able to go do that if he wants, but he chooses to be there. So why don't you just smile and be happy for him? And he's doing what he wants. I mean, he gets 30 pounds an hour and it's tax-free. I mean, what's the problem? <laughs> he says, that's why I don't give him any money. But I said, that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, if you looked at it and he said, oh, I haven't really thought about it from that angle. And I said, so I don't, I don't, I don't, you don't think like normal people. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can adjust to this. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, it's, it's just interesting when, when you get people to start looking at the way they're looking at situations because they paint pictures, which they could really paint in a different way. They could look a lot prettier to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something else you said cued something in my mind too. Because you mentioned how you, uh, like all of us, we like validation. 
And you mentioned this gentleman who was negating everything because he was looking to get validation for his viewpoint. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of something that I was reading about just last night. There's a book that came out about uh, eight years ago, something like that, called Contagious. Basically, it's a, it's a book that explores um, how it is that things become popular quickly, how things go viral, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. One of the points that he makes in the book is that when people, when, mm -hmm. when you look at what motivates people to share something, because that's what virality really is, is something being shared a lot. Mm -hmm. When you look at what motivates people to share, one of the big things is they want to be considered in the know, so to speak. They want to be considered somebody who who's who's got a one up on you, like, oh, I got this really cool thing. I'm going I'm going to impress you or excite you or entice you yeah. with this wonderful thing that I found so that I can get a little attention from you. And it's a really great point. That's that is a major portion, a major part of why stuff becomes popular and why people share things. They they mm -hmm. I mean, we often like to think about sharing as being, well, I'm sharing for the benefit of somebody else, but there's also the benefit to themselves. We kind of overlook that part, but there's a big benefit that people get. In fact, th there was a Harvard study. This was also in the book. There was a Harvard study done where I don't remember exactly how the study went. Oh, I know what it was. The um, students at Harvard University, uh, of course, they're involved in every study ever in existence because that's where all the studies get done. Poor students, but anyway, the students at Harvard <laughs> University were asked what they what what they would choose in terms of an income. They had two different jobs, basically the same job. One job pays fifty thousand dollars a year. The other job pays a hundred thousand dollars a year. But there's one proviso you have to understand: the one paying fifty thousand dollars a year is working for a company where you'd be the highest paid employee and everyone else is being paid $25,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Whereas the one earning a hundred thousand, you'd be working at a company where everybody else was earning $200,000 a year. So you'd be earning half of what everybody else was earning. And the interesting thing that happened was a majority of the students said they would take the $50,000 a of year. Because okay. what, what, what do they also get with that 50,000? They get power. Status, power. Yeah. Mm. Recognition, status, and power. Recognition. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Now, in the network marketing circles that I was in, they, they always said people will do more for recognition than they will do for um, money. It's true. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> At least among the Harvard students. I don't know about everybody else. but <laughs> The other thing is there's a book called The Challenger Sale. It's really interesting. And you see which one of these four categories or five categories that you fit into. Um, and one is where you empathize with the other person, another, you know, and sell to them. Another one where you are very good at explaining. The other one is the lone wolf who goes off and he does it in his own unique way and is a very good salesman. And the one that is the most successful is the challenger. And the challenger is when they've got one up on somebody, you know, do you know that this product can do this for you that you didn't know before? When you've got something to add, some value to add into it. So you're challenging belief structures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you become the challenger sales. They say they're the most effective salespeople out there. I'm going to compare that to what I was reading in this book. The book was laying out, I think, five or six different categories of, of behaviors and, and uh, presentation patterns and so forth. And we'll see if that fits into it. I'm not sure if it does or not, but it might. It's interesting, though. Mm -hmm. I, I, you're right. I think that's exactly what happens. 
Um, the closest that I can think of from this book, they, they did give one story. I'm only partway through this book, but they gave one story where, um, let's see, how did it go? A guy had come up with a, not a blender. It was a, it was a machine for grinding flour and so forth in the mm-hmm. kitchen because he had noticed there really wasn't anything out there in the marketplace. So he figured he would. No, there isn't. I don't know of anyone <laughs> that grinds. Um, yeah, wheat. Well, he invented flour. one, and it apparently was really well done. I mean, he he invented something solid. It wasn't you know some plastic thing made in a um, an underpaid yeah. factory in China. It was fancy at selling though. <laughs> well, that was the problem, and and he wasn't yeah. sure how to sell it. And he had no marketing budget to sell it, and he ended up convincing a friend of his who uh, had been working as a high powered marketing guy at a large corporation to come work for him and help him get his thing sold. And the guy commented that um, the job he left had a budget that was twice as large as the entire income of the guy he was going to work for. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, he got to talking to him and found out that this thing could cut cut up almost anything. You could put a cell phone in and it would cut the cell phone. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) It would chop up marbles into this fine dust. (laughs) So he put a lab coat on the guy. And he put about, put a camera, uh, in front of him and said, and had him feed stuff into this thing, which was really just a grinder. I mean, it was just grinding stuff mm-hmm. up. And then he put it on, on social media and it just took off like wildfire. But he wanted to point out, I know this really cool thing you guys don't know. Let me share it with you. Wow. But did he get any sales out of it? That's he, got tons, he got tons of sales. They, oh, yeah. Good. They did really, really well. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's currently a product. I'd have to go look it up. I don't remember what the name of it was. Yeah. Pretty cool that he was able to do that. <laughs> but marbles? I mean, rocks? I mean, he just put the stuff in it. <laughs> you do that with most household appliances, and they'll just, you know, give up the ghost. They're done. <laughs> but there's an example of how if you if you can find the angles that gives people the ability to say, I know something you don't know, you get yourself potentially something that will go viral. Pretty cool. I'm still learning what the other, the other pieces are. There are a bunch of them, mm-hmm. but yeah, the other thing that's interesting too, is that when you look at uh, what goes viral, you can kind of look at something that, that became very popular and say, well, that's because of this or that's because of that. And it turns out when you actually do the studies to find out whether that was true, most of the perceptions are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the reasons gonna... you think that something is becoming popular are not the reasons why they became popular. It's pretty wild. Yeah, and I was going to say, as quick as, you, as it kicks off, a lot of these things just then get dropped so quickly nowadays, I find. So you could yeah, be successful for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, five minutes can be enough. All you need is your audience. Yeah. <laughs> well, the that's audience true. <laughs> And then if you get the email list and you promote other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that was actually another topic from um, the interview I did this morning because she was, she has a list of seven different ways to build up, you know, start something. Remember how uh, with Kelly, Emery, you were on the show. Um, yes. We were talking about how, how would you start something from scratch? How would you start a Facebook group? Could you do it on any topic? You know, turn yeah. into this, what we were talking about you and, and being a poet and wanting to help other people be published and all that kind of stuff. Well, we kind of carried that out 
uh, a few steps more in today's interview. And the way we did it was she identified, I think she said seven different ways that you can market, that you can basically build up the, the, the talk around your thing and get more and more attention for it. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things was emails, because that's still a yeah. very viable uh, marketing method. But there were a bunch of others, too. But, but the interesting thing was after she went through them, and she went through them in very great detail and a fairly rapid clip. And I was kind of imagining what it's like from the perspective of the audience member, because that's the way I was trying to respond to her. And when she was done, I said, that all sounds great, but I'm absolutely totally intimidated. I don't even know where to begin. There's so many things in that list. Now, I, I actually did, but mm. I can just see. You know, your yeah. average listener thing, I, I'm just like, where do I start? It's, I'm overwhelmed with work. I haven't even started this thing. And that, that really is, to me, a key point because we ask about having abundance in our lives. We want to attract abundance into our lives. Very often that does require taking some physical actions. Yeah. What we often call inspired, um, action or, or, um, initiating uh, some sort of inspired activity and that that can be intimidating. It can be frightening. It basically taps into who we are and challenges us on many levels. And I think all those levels all really amount to is what's our level of self-esteem. How do we feel about ourselves? Mm-hmm. How confident are we? Mm-hmm. And, and I was really, <clears throat> I was, I was tapping into that as I was doing this interview in a big, strong way of recognizing, wow, that's, that really explains why it is so few people go into business for themselves because mm-hmm. study after study has shown the population as a whole across the planet has generally speaking, generally has low self-esteem. There's not a whole lot of people in the general population with high self-esteem. And yet it's essential to succeeding in business. It's, but you know, <laughs> even somebody who gets a, a good, dollop of self-esteem world people attack them and challenge them and push of them course and bring them down so you know even if you've got good self-esteem you really have to have a lot of it before you do um before you say to everybody you know i'm really confident <laughs> well that's it um, exactly it and I think that's why it is so few people are willing to try. That's why even if they knew that there was something that they would enjoy doing and that they could actually do, they, and I, I've been one of those people in the past, they talk themselves out of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every time I, uh, there is a prime minister in this country who's like, you know, really got a good campaign and it's doing well and all the rest of it and everybody loves him. As soon as he gets in power, they will want to kill him. Oh, oh, my God. (laughs) How does this work? (laughs) You know, you should build him up just to knock him down. That's cool. (laughs) So does that Uh, relate to the other conversation? The fact that we all like to think that we know more. It does. And then when somebody is successful, that intimidates us and we beat them down. Yeah, it, it does. We do feel intimidated many times. Even I've noticed it mm-hmm. clearly in myself that if somebody's more successful in something that I'm really trying to be successful in, then it knocks, it knocks me for a sex, um, or used to. Now, now when you understand the law of attraction, it starts becoming easier because you start realizing that everybody has their own pie and that you're not directly competing against anybody because your yes. point of attraction is completely different to everybody else's. So, the law of attraction can really help your confidence by understanding that there is no limit to that pie ever. It's true. It's very true. Mm-hmm. 
it's, it's an in-depth kind of understanding, but it's a vital one. And like you say, it has that impact. Mm. Um, another piece of the, of the whole puzzle too is the, the realization that self-esteem, self-love, self-confidence, all that stuff are, they, they aren't a fixed thing, fixed in stone. They change. They, they change over time because our confidence levels uh, get impacted by what we experience. That's why we have so much trouble when we get exposed to the law of attraction in the first place, because we are so primed, we're so trained to believe that our experiences are based on what happens to us rather than what we think about and what we focus our attention on. And because of that, that that's where default behavior comes from. Like, okay, well, I feel powerless here, so I'm just going to wait and see what happens to me. And then I'll just say, well, it would happen because of that, that X thing over there. It's Walt's fault. It's Walt's fault. It's all my fault. It's always my fault. I know that. No, Emery's as well. It's never one's own fault, right? Yeah. But that's what happens when you have a whole population, not a whole population, but a large chunk of the population, certainly a super majority of the population that has esteem issues, self-esteem issues. Because if you have self-esteem issues, what's going to happen? Well, first of all, you're not going to feel good. Second of all, when you have an opportunity to shine, you're going to take it because you need to feed it, right? So that, that's why you want to be that expert who, oh, I know this cool thing you don't know because it's help, helping to build you up. And then when you finally do meet somebody who has stronger self-esteem, who's feeling stronger than you are, you feel intimidated about it. Mm. And so you got to knock them down. That's the, the phenomenon you were describing, Louie, where the, mm. you know, the guy gets into office mm. and all of a sudden everybody's got to knock him down. Why? Because he feels better about himself than the population does. Well, they can't, can't have that. <laughs> there's, there's also an aspect of teaching in that knocking down. Um, I, I had in the Met Police a manager who took great pride in his meetings where he, he always sat at the head of the table. He wound his chair up to as high as it would go and dominated the entire thing and controlled it. And people walked out of those meetings very often crying because <laughs> he would, he, he would literally attack their, their lack of knowledge in the different areas where they're supposed to be proficient. And he'll say, how can you come to me as a project manager and you don't even know what a milestone is? And, you know, this lady never wanted to be in a meeting with him before because he really tore her to pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just base, basic things that, that, uh, and, and the interesting thing was I never had a problem with this guy anywhere through it. And I wasn't the most professional or organized. He just couldn't get to me, even if he tried and he knew it. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be anything or anyone he was going to deal with. So we had long, nice philosophical conversations together and very, very amicable arrangement between him and I. Um, and you know, he kept me on for over seven years in the, in the Met Police. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he actually liked me as well. Um, right. even though he never said it or anything. Um, but, the, the important thing that I came out there, I mean, he, my manager, my direct manager was an Irish lady and uh, she came out of his, his meeting so like fuming. <laughs> she could just, mm-hmm. she was fuming or crying. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and quite often until she started working, you know, we're realizing how to work with him. But, um, he was a teacher. He was helping them understand the inadequacies 
and strengthening them. And if I was weak like in, in that aspect, then he would have challenged me as well. I would have had the same problem as everybody else. But slowly but surely, you know, I watched my, my boss get stronger and stronger and being able to deal with her boss, the big, this big guy, right. um, better and better and better. And eventually didn't phase her at all. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, I watched the whole cycle of him training her and teaching her with a whip. You know, and some people teach with love and some people teach with a whip <laughs> and some people, some students prefer a whip and some students prefer yeah. love. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, that's so interesting because I would have presumed that people working under them would have been less motivated. It wouldn't have been so productive. But actually, the way you've just worded that. Temporarily, yes. Yeah. In the long but term, they, they come onions, out stronger they? that they can deal with these any of these guys anywhere else in life. Mm. They build that thicker skin and that expertise. Yeah. But it's not it's necessarily a thicker skin. It's more like a no skin. Mm-hmm. A thicker skin mm-hmm. is pushing away what you don't want. A no skin means it just flows through you and you don't care a shit. It's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've really got to make sure you don't create a thick skin. But, but what <laughs> you just, just described there, you. <laughs> what you just described there also shows what the limitation is of his approach. Because yeah. yes, you probably yeah. did get some results out of it, but it's like with anything else where somebody does a deep dive into the negative, into the low vibe, and then comes bouncing back out, they're stronger as a result. Yeah, they're stronger, but what happened to their respect for you and what you're trying to accomplish? Was that- if he's strong enough, he doesn't care. He, well, he, the object sure. for him is is who's next, who, I, who can I train in the way I know how to train next. Again, that depends uh, on what what his goals are. You're right. If his goal is yeah. only to train, then yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose that would be considered a success. But that's not necessarily going to play out as a, as a success in the business world. It's not going to. It's not. It's not going <clears> to <throat> play out as a success in the popularity market. But you know, no. some of the most successful leaders in the world have been quite unpopular. <laughs> it's true. Yep. But by the same token, I think it also can backfire. Is what I'm saying. You hmm. you can build it up. To, you can get the other persons built up to such an extent that they're immune to you, and now you can't get anything done anymore because your technique doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So you get very few people who can be Gandhi. So Gandhi would go to a rooftop if he didn't like what the population was doing and starve himself and wouldn't eat anything until the population changed their mind. Then he would come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he loved him for it because <laughs> he didn't force them, he didn't hit them, he didn't bully them, he didn't cajole them, he starved himself. There's not many people who can do that. <laughs> no, not many. Not many. Got to give him credit. Credit where credit is due. It's yeah, true. he never brought the whip out, ever. And when the British were were fighting him. So what he did is he got all the Indians to stand in a long, long line, all the males, go up to the British officer and the officer would hit them down. And then the next one would stand in line, they'd hit him down and the next one. So it was just an orderly approach, not a, a big massive, you know, fight of, against the British rule, etc. It was, you know, let's just show them where we're not going to stop. Next person, hit them down, you know, until you get bored of hitting people down. You know, uh-huh. or you feel it's wrong or, you know, you get something inside you that doesn't feel right anymore and you know and a lot of the british soldiers didn't want to hit anybody anymore you know it just didn't feel right <laughs> so you've got this whole different way of approaching um the the um a way of ruling i suppose a way of leading 
It reminds me of the story of a young king of Botswana from the 1950s. So this would have been after Gandhi, but before most of Africa became independent of colonial rule. And at the time, Botswana was known as Bechuanaland. And this young king essentially did something that was unique for his culture. And that was he tried to weave a path in between what the British were trying to do and what was going on in South Africa that didn't play either one of their games. And the game Mm -hmm. at that point was, was basically about apartheid. He just wouldn't play the game. And there, there comes a crisis. There's a film that was made about it called a United Kingdom. Very interesting film worth watching. That film depicts a moment where he and his uncle, and this, this is important because of the way that the kingships worked um, during that time and in historical times leading up to that in Botswana. Um, but they were at odds with each other. And because of that, it was making it very difficult for him to carry out his role because his uncle had a lot of sway for a variety of reasons. <clears throat> at one point, the British decide that because of this split, the schism within their family, they were going to take advantage of it to assert British rule. And so they basically declare that they are taking over the government because the government is split and is in danger of falling apart. So they're going to be the good guys and hold the whole thing together. And they're going to have their own uh, governor and so forth to come in. And they have the tacit support of the uncle. So they figure, well, everything's golden. Well, the way that pre-democracy Botswana worked was somewhat democratic in its own way. Um, They would meet the, the tribes would meet, and in this case, it was a net nation of tribes that would meet. And it was sort of like a democratic assemblage, but only males. And there would be a, uh, a fight for the leadership, and whoever gained the acclamation of the tribes would become the leader. But that acclamation was almost always put behind the bloodline of whoever was next to be leader. Mm-hmm. So it, it was both semi-democratic, semi-monarchical. It had you know, flavors of all kinds of stuff going there. So anyway, they decide they're going to, the British are going to put in their, their own ruler and they call a meeting of that assembly to announce it formally and install the new government and so forth. And I'll call them the Senate for the lack of a better term or, or the, uh, the assemblage or whatever. The assemblage didn't show up. <laughs> they refused to come. So the, these British leaders show up at the place where the assemblage is supposed to happen and there's nobody there and they're furious. Like, what, where is everybody? We're supposed to be doing this today. And it just completely ruined their entire plan. Now they, they still, you know, did what they could to impose their rule anyway, but they were counting on this big, this big ceremony essentially done in front of the entire male population to install their their legitimacy, and it failed utterly and completely because they wouldn't participate. It makes me think of what Gandhi would do. Gandhi basically refused to participate. Mm. You know, you're not going to do behave the way I want you to behave. Okay, I'm not going to participate in society. I'm going to you know lock myself up and not eat any food until you guys change your mind. It's the same basic yeah. concept. We won't, we won't participate until you shift. <clears throat> 
the the other uh well let's talk about Botswana I think if I'm not mistaken it's the most successful country in Africa it's one of them for sure yeah certainly yeah. top three yeah which has always amazed me because it's it's a very quiet country never any conflict never hear anything about it they just nope. continue peacefully doing their stuff and I love it I you know I have a lot of respect for that country um, even though I have never been there yeah, Which is weird there. because they're right next door to South Africa. I mean, it's not like they're far away. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Okavango swamps, I think, are there. And that's one of the reasons why I'd want to go. I'd love mm-hmm. to see those. Um, but they don't have a lot of attractions. <laughs> you know, um, Zimbabwe, well, they do Victoria have Falls. There, there, and, there was a TV series that was put together by um, the BBC a few years ago. It only lasted one season, but it was wonderful, called The First Ladies, Det- the Number One Ladies Detective Agency. And it was the story of a woman who, a Botswana woman who inherited uh, some wealth from her father and ended up deciding to use it to set herself up as a detective to help people. Mm-hmm. And gave you a really nice feel for Botswana and culture and so forth. Well, that but, would have been interesting, yeah. Really good. It, it came out about 10 years ago, something like that. Really, really good series. Yeah. I, I highly recommend that one too. But <clears> yeah, the little bit I've seen about Botswana is like, I want to know more. It's really, it's a cool country. Mm-hmm. The other thing about India, which is quite fascinating is, um, there's over 1,200 languages in the country. Yeah. Wow. And if you go from one village to the next, they not only got a different language, they got a different religion and a different culture. Right. So imagine driving to the next town and it's like, oh, believe you can't even speak to them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's where you uh, really need the translation on your, on your uh, cell phone, right? <laughs> Otherwise you're in trouble. <laughs> but they say that is what saved um, India from the British. Because they never knew where the head of the snake was, because there was just ah. so many snakes, <laughs> so many heads, right. so many different, uh, you know, groups that uh, it, it, it was an idea that I'd never thought about or heard about. You know, I, never, I never knew about the languages in India. Um, it just blows your mind. <laughs> it just absolutely blows mm-hmm. your mind. You, mm-hmm. From 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 us Western perspective, it's really difficult to grasp. But, I mean, yeah. in South Africa, there's 13 Ill- official languages. Everyone's second, everyone's second choice is English, obviously, except <laughs> English. Um, uh, but it's, it's just really interesting because, you know, in England, it's English. It's game over. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, and, and, you know, they're they're like, the States, but nobody seem to talk to each other anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> Too many <laughs> battles. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, it's all very interesting, but um, I was just trying to think of ways of bringing the law of attraction into all this. Um, well, I uh, just made a note of something, because I just think yeah. something that stood out for me is where he said, don't give, basically, don't give them the reaction that they're all expecting and wanting from you. And I think that's a really good lesson in LOA, is just thinking about the situation and not making that judgment, not having that fear, sure. you know, be true to yourself and authentic. So I thought that was really useful. Yeah. Shifting that perspective to something that you're not being dragged into that you don't want to. 
So Amory, you made a statement, don't react the way they would want you to. That is still mm-hmm. giving them power to control you. To yeah. now trying to to certainly so the 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 way to look at it ideally is to say, I know where I'm going, I know what I'm doing, and I'm gonna do it. Okay. Forget about not reacting the way they want you mm-hmm. to, you know, what, what they expect, etc. Don't don't play that game. Just be really clear about where you want, where you're going. Yeah. Because yeah. there's another way of looking at the same thing. And this is the way I tend to look at it. It's not so much that the way you described it. It's more like, what would they be receptive to? That's the question yes. I ask myself. Yes. So that, that, so, so one of those statements is what you don't want. One of those statements, yours, yeah. Walt, is what you do want. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to, to, to say to Amory is, is yes, you're now clear about what you don't want. Write the statement that Walt's just put down next to it rather. And then focus yeah. rather on that and then leave the other one behind completely. And then you're really starting to work with LOA. We and also really, really, LOA. That, that was sorry. The conversation this morning was about marketing and that's precisely what we were talking about. Learning mm-hmm. the language, so to speak, of the person that you're trying to draw into your circle, that you're trying to reach out to and offer whatever it is you're offering to them. Unless you can talk to them in their language and the way they think, you're going to have a hard time connecting. But once you do learn what they think, what they would anticipate, what would connect to them well, now you got a conversation going. Now you got mm. a relationship going. Absolutely. Um, because now you've got them feeling better because they're focused on what they want, not what they don't want. Right. Exactly. So what I really want to do, and I've said this before on this program, but I'm going to reiterate it. There should be an LOA police. <laughs> I know you've said that before. <laughs> <laughs> You're under LOA already. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm trying to think of the more positive words to use. The LOA guidance group <laughs> doesn't sound right. Um, <laughs> about peace officers. <laughs> peace officers, yeah. I want the biggest peace. <laughs> um, yeah. No, we it's, were having this conversation again the other day. It, it's challenging how these, these, these words work. I mean, we were talking earlier about how useful it is to have an English language because the English is certainly the language that does this more than anything else. It has more idioms. It has more ways of explaining the same thing, mm. words and so forth. And yet with all that power comes the ability to trip over your own feet because of those <laughs> same things. Yep. <laughs> I often remember my, my mentor many years saying, Louis, your virtues are often your vices. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> I was just getting strong and hopeful and good about this thing. And now you're saying my virtues can be more vices. <laughs> are you playing uh, with my head just for the sake of it? Or is there a purpose <laughs> behind this? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, my mentor has said many things that have stuck in my mind for many years. Like one of them was, <laughs> One of them, and this still gets me. <laughs> she said, Louis, stop looking for truth in dustbins. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you go figure that one out. <laughs> well, there's a value that's built into there. That's the part that's tricky to, to figure out. Because the value judgment is in the idea of the dustbin. You know, dustbins are undesirable to look in. That's what the inference is. Okay, so there's the value judgment. So, so what's should, should you look in the Bible or should you look in the illusions for your answers? Which one's the dustbin? 
<laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so so I that's the kind of thing that she was giving me. She was, she, she, um, she was bringing all these new books like Illusions and, and, and Ramdas and all these other guys, great books, fantastic. Um, and then, then she said, she, she, she kind of tricked me in a way. She, she's reading this beautiful passage, you know, um, about love and, you know, when, 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 when you're feeling dis- disappointed, shut up. And when you're feeling, um, you know, good, then shout it from the top of the tree, top of the hill, you know, and it was going on and on and on. And this is one Corinthians 14 verse 23 or something, but it's beautiful. It comes out of the Bible. And she says, where do you think this comes from? I said, I don't know, but it's really beautiful. <laughs> so it comes from the Bible. I was like, what? <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a lot of beautiful stuff in there as well, but again, it's how you perceive it, how you look at it. And, it's true. With what context um, you put it in and take it out of. It also depends on what you consider to be a dustbin. Because mm. that's, that, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, it's clear that she's saying stay away from dustbins, therefore dustbins are undesirable for whatever reason. Um, and I suppose ultimately, if you take that to its logical extreme, then anything that's outside of you is a dustbin because ultimately the connection inside is where you can trust continuously. Um Assuming, of course, that you're in a high vibe space. If you're in a low vibe space, good luck. <laughs> There's not a whole lot going on <laughs> right there. <laughs> as long as you're feeling high vibe, that's going to be the best place to go. So, does that mean we should just ignore the dustbins? Well, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe. But how messy? How messy would the world be without dustbins? Yeah. 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 That, that, that's why I said I spent my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> 30 years thinking about this one statement she made to me and you can go round and round in circles but <laughs> <laughs> it's true um yes, it but is. uh you know the, the basic the gist i think i'm getting out of it is you know if you're looking for truth find books that really resonate with you don't trawl yes. through things that are you know like she went through a Course in Miracles, which I think you know, well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now it's a book this thick, one, one passage every day of the year, 365. This big of a headache. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I couldn't get into that as well. And, and I started to realize, I started to become very fussy with the kind of books that I read. Um, and the ones that mean a lot to me, like I was, Reading the Prophet again, which I don't know if Amory started yet, um, and I was feeling so emotional. It re- more affected my soul, affected the the core of my being again and again when I read this book because I got it on Kindle now, mm. um, and it was just just really hits me, and it's like. Wow, you know, this kind of book I can relate to. And you pick up the Bible, it just doesn't have that effect on me. It just doesn't. Except for one Corinthians, but other than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, certain things you start being very, very aware that you start being able to sift through what you feel is very valuable to you and what isn't. And you'd be able to do it in the heart just like that. Um, and it makes your life a lot easier because, you know, when salesman comes to you, <laughs> Does this feel good, doesn't it? In or out. God's kind of, you know, it's really okay. easy. Doesn't matter what he comes up with or what they come up with. 
Um, unless they're a challenger and they challenge my belief structure, then I'm all with them. <laughs> I oh, love yeah, that. Louis <laughs> lives for that. That's like, oh, please give me more of that. I love this. Yes. Oh, you know, anybody gives me a new idea, a new thought, and, and, and even the guy who sat on the floor in the sauna with me, I'm so grateful to him because I've never thought clearly about source being perfect and source expanding. It, it was delicious for me to sit there and mm-hmm. contemplate it all. <laughs> um, because it was just something new that I hadn't really tossed around in my head. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, Amory, tell us something about you and your life. We've been very quiet before. Um, my life. Oh my gosh, it's just so busy. Just busy. We've got birthdays. We've got weddings. Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We're very quick for that priority, by the way. <laughs> so yeah. It's um. So what's been going on? Things are actually rather lovely. I have to say. That's good. Yeah, family Isn't life it... just feels adorable. My kids, I just can't get enough of them. Isn't it interesting yeah, when something. things are going well, we, we lack the words for it. We've got lots of words for when things go bad. bad. We can discuss those endless. So true, Walt. So true. But we got things going good and like, I don't know what to say. It's all good. <laughs> but you know what, Walt? There's, there's a flip side to that is when somebody says, I don't know what to say, you actually have a lot of respect for it, don't you? Mm. You kind of, you kind of feel, you yeah, know, this is... Hmm. There's something here. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can kind of feel it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like work and stuff isn't isn't like what I want to do for the rest of my life, and that's fine. It's not but floating it just, your boat. It's, but... it's not, but it's not important. It's yeah, really not important because it is important. Everything else is just lovely. Yeah. In other words, you're feeling good. Yeah, I feel really fuzzy. Oh, well, I actually feel a bit sick today, but yeah, I feel really fuzzy warm. <laughs> What's up for today? <laughs> two, two weeks yeah. ago, you were you were not happy from when I, when I looked at no. you. <laughs> you no, I wasn't, I don't know what was it was. <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's interesting because you're feeling the contrast. You know what it is to really be shitty, and you know what it feels like to be better, and then you start. What LOA teaches you is you, you get a very fine sense of what's better for you and what's not. And when you do get into that negative space, you really feel bad. Mm, <laughs> you feel it you keenly. Do. You feel it quite keenly. Yeah. And I think I've noticed a lot more is just like how my thinkings have changed because I've come sort of across people who in situations where I've been previously and I would I view it very differently now. If I was in that situation, I would view it very differently. And I can see how far I've come. And that also makes me quite proud of myself. Mm-hmm. Sure. And yeah. for good reason. Mm-hmm. Because you've been doing a lot of work on yourself and you now you can see the progress. That's Absolutely. probably the most important thing, seeing the progress. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it is also just thinking, um, and again, it's, it's, it's that kind of judgment thing, but it's like, I'm glad I'm not there. I'm mm. glad I'm not thinking that way. And I'm glad, you know, I still have my moments, human, but just being able to manage it a lot more pleasantly. Yeah. With gentleness and civility and kindness. It, it, it seems, seems to become clearer and easier for anybody to do who's on LOA. First of all, you're confident enough to be you can afford kindness to people 
because there was this interesting scenario um, that I was told about. My daughter went to to London, and there was because Britain, in Britain we have to put masks on again on trains. So <clears throat> one of my daughter's friends who went with a whole bunch of people didn't put a mask on, and this old grumpy man was saying, "Put your mask on! Why haven't you got your mask on?" And uh, I, I laughed. I said, "I wish I was there." <laughs> so my daughter says, "Why?" I said. Well, I would have had a great conversation with the guy. What would you have said? I would have said, hey, do you like being a bully? Is it fun for you? And the, and the guy would have, blah, 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 blah. I said, ooh, you really are angry, aren't you? And then uh, I would have said something like, um, have, 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 you, have you just held a kangaroo court? And he would say, what the hell do you mean? I said, do you know she doesn't have a medical reason to, to have that mask on? Mm. Did, did you bother to find that out first or did you just have a kangaroo court? And I would have gone on. I would have had such fun with the guy. I would have, oh, it would have been great. Never give Louis a needle. He will use it. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody else was just subdued and, uh, uh, and, and really, uh, you know, deal with the guy. So, uh, <laughs> You, you know, you just have to do this once to a person like that, and they spend, they will think before they do it again. Yes. Or at the very they least, they'll approach it out of control for the next 10 minutes. So if they're trying to figure out what just happened, it'll be one or the yeah, other. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you're really confident, you can do these kind of things. It really doesn't phase you or bother you. Or Emotional mm -hmm. conflict is one of the things that I've, I've mentioned a few times on the show. It doesn't bother me anymore. I actually enjoy it. <laughs> it. I don't enjoy it so much. It, it, it's just if somebody really wants to attack or, or go for it, you know. There's there's a story of two Tai Chi masters and the two groups of students were getting into fights and all the rest of it. And eventually it got to the stage where both masters were going to fight each other and both Tai Chi masters are standing there. Now, Tai Chi is the ultimate martial art considered perceived to be in, in China um, by many. <clears throat> and they both stood there and none of them did anything. And then they both turned around and walked away. And so yes. one student said, why didn't you guys fight? He said, well, the first guy who moved lost. So we couldn't do anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you get angry, you've lost. <laughs> as soon as you lose your, ra your, your, your rag, as they use it, I think they use the word rag, since you lose your rag, um, you've lost it. You've lost the game. You, anybody who hasn't lost their rag can always make mincemeat out of you. Interesting, too, because we also talk often here on the show about how when you – that's falling down the spiral is what that is. That's falling into the low-vibe space. When you hmm. fall to the low-vibe space, that's when you get the greatest benefits. Interesting contrast there <laughs> on the one hand, but on the other hand <laughs> – it's a very appropriate way to wrap up the show today because it's kind of similar to what we talked about earlier. You mentioned the importance mm -hmm. of confidence. We were talking in the earlier show about how important self-confidence is and, and making building mindset a constant activity in one's life that you don't ever want to end it. So how appropriate that we're talking about the same thing today to wind up this show. Good stuff. Anyway, we do have, uh, I want to remind people we're going to have a special guest tomorrow morning that I'll be uh, recording the podcast down. And then we have the regular show tomorrow afternoon with Janine and Bridget. But in the meantime, thank you guys very much. Thank you, podcast listeners everywhere. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Take care, everyone.